so look, in my 20s, I had a total fixation when it came to investing around what can I invest in instead of coming back to first principles. I ended up going back to first principles once I um, had already made quite a few blunders. So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one size fits all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. My name is Selena Kulkarni and I'm a passionate investor but with a difference. I spend half my time running a community for wealthy entrepreneurs looking to reach financial freedom in three to five years using exclusive real estate deals that deliver consistent, predictable cash flow. The other half of my time, I support motivated young adults who want to get started on their wealth building journeys. I've been a chartered accountant and investor in the trenches for over 25 years, but I didn't come from money. So I want to help those who want to be self-made, master the fundamentals and fast track their financial freedom. I've had all the cuts and bruises in the past and now in this podcast, I want to share real life experiences on what has worked, what hasn't worked and how you can take action that will set you apart from 99% of other investors so that you can get the results you want faster. Hey Ken, so I'm super interested to have a conversation with you today about the three big lessons that I learned in my 20s and get a sense from you whether you actually agree or disagree. Well, considering the fact that I'm now in my 30s, <laughs> I can probably try and relate also to uh, some of the things in our 20s, um, both you and I, and whether or not there are actually any similarities or lessons from that as well. So um, let's get stuck into it. Uh, what have you got for number one? If I reflect back on my time as a 20-year-old and 20-something-year-old, I get really frustrated because I think I wasted a lot of time going down a lot of rabbit holes that really weren't of value. So why I thought this would be a great episode is I think it would be great to pull apart um, what I think I did from a mistakes point of view but also, um, you know, mix that or blend that with what I think you should be doing. So the first one that I came up with was build skills that actually impact because from my point of view, in your 20s, you don't actually have that much money or most of us didn't have much money but people have this luxury of disposable time. So the big aha for me, which I learned later in life and which I wish I'd done in my 20s was use it. I used to waste so much time whiling away, socializing, dreaming about being wealthy to some degree, but I did little about it. And there were plenty of fun things that I did that I loved, but there was also a huge number of time drains that I participated in that, frankly, I just didn't have the guts to opt out of. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that. I think... This notion of the average of the five people around you, um, you know, you, you tend to get really complacent and comfortable when, you know, you're in a specific cohort as well. Um, I found myself in my 20s probably hanging around with a group that wasn't so ambitious about building wealth, um, nor do they have some any massive ambitions of really just other than working their jobs and living for the weekends, right? And, and I think what you're saying here when we talk about impact is how is it that you can acquire different skills and ways to essentially help contribute to wealth building? And that could be like ways to say increase your salaries or your earning potential. Um, I found that I was in a position where I was working in hospitality and hotels 
that the industry at the time wasn't paying nearly as well as it is now. And so like the ability to actually increase um, my ability to earn wasn't actually as high as I'd hoped for. The other thing that I observed during that time was the fact that I didn't actually value myself much as well. I don't think I ever had anyone necessarily go, you know what, you're you're actually really valuable to the business or to a company. And so when it came to like contract negotiation time, I would always like devalue myself and be like, oh, look, I'm, I'm happy with this and I'll accept that. And so I was always in like that secondary position. Um, and it got to a point actually where my boss at the time said to me, I said, he was very candid and he joked around. He said, he sort of chuckled after we agreed on the salary. He said, oh, I was kind of expecting more. And that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me going, shit, actually, I think I'm actually devaluing myself a little bit and I've got the skills for impact and actually to increase my earning potential for wealth building. Yeah, I, I love that. I um, I probably shared uh, some of those similar feelings about not valuing myself. I think the thing that I would comment on in terms of like you, you touched on this idea of the the five people who are, you know, around you probably contribute the most to your success. You know, what I've learned with maybe a bit of age and wisdom is it's not that you've got to ditch your friends. It's more that you've got to go out and seek people who have the results that you want. I think in, in the context of wealth building, there's nothing wrong with having fun. There's nothing wrong with any of the stuff that we've talked about in terms of like doing things outside of wealth building. But I think what is really important is to make sure that you're spending your time doing things you value and don't do it at the expense of investing in yourself. So one of the things I'm a huge advocate of now is identify skills that are really useful to you and then prolifically consume things that are going to help you grow that skill. So everybody understands this concept of return on investment. And so if I think about my own journey, some examples of skills that I think are really useful to be thinking about in your 20s is, and you've already, you've already nailed this one, what are skills that make you more valuable at work? Like what is it that I can do that will increase my perceived value or my real value at work? Then, you know, understanding the fundamentals of wealth building. And some of that is just freely available out there. You don't have to look too far. Um, understanding how different assets work. I did very little of that in my 20s. And, you know, I know this sounds really maybe a bit non-appealing to some people, but learning how to use a basic spreadsheet, you know, all those sorts of things are actually going to compound and have a massive impact on your capacity to get traction. And ultimately, really why I'm advocating for growing your skill set and thinking about skills from the context of impact is You've got the luxury of time. You may not have the luxury of money, but you've got the luxury of time in your 20s. And I wish I'd doubled down on that a little more in my 20s. Yeah, I mean, even as a business owner now, um, I'm finding I don't have the luxury of time. And so I'm finding ways to essentially buy time. Uh, and so if you're a younger person in your 20s, you know, probably finding people who are within either your network or people who are available to you that who need, say, either your skills or your expertise to then help them actually, you know, buy their time back. Um, and I think they're actually surprising a lot of people like that, including business owners like myself who are willing to if for the right person be able to come in and actually you know do things that's going to result in time savings on our side and and i did that with a friend of ours who now runs a very successful accounting firm in the early days where i spent a lot of my time consuming marketing content and ways that i could just basically elevate his business um, as his lead marketer he doesn't have that luxury because he's trying to run a business and so if you can find those opportunities uh, it's going to make a massive difference because skill acquisition uh, i get told by this actually there's something my mom used to always teach me she said like People can take everything from you um, physically, but they can never take your education, your knowledge. And I think that's one of those things that in your 20s, you spend time acquiring knowledge rather than time necessarily just trying to actually increase your earning capacity as well. 
There's a fabulous point in what you've just said, which is that there's a tension between wanting to outsource and buy that skill set when you're short of, of time and when you have, maybe have the luxury of money versus learning it from first principles. And what I would say is that from a wealth building perspective, the more foundational knowledge you have in place, the greater your probability of success later on. As you go down the track, certainly you can you know, buy in exp different expertise and grow your network in different ways. But if you don't understand the fundamentals, as many experienced investors do not, then you have no choice but to depend on the advice given by others. And mm. ultimately, that's where people find they get caught out or they make huge financial investments that actually just take them in the wrong direction. So this concept of investing in skills that have impact is also about putting yourself in a position where nobody can take advantage of you and you can actually stay in the driver's seat when it comes to making decisions. There's, there's a term that I use, which is the modern day polymath. And what I mean by that is a polymath is someone who usually has quite extensive knowledge and skills that span across multiple subjects or disciplines. And so if you think about wealth building as this umbrella uh, discipline, but within that that, you've got sub-disciplines, you know, you're talking about different asset classes, um, understanding compound interest, different aspects that make wealth work, right? Or building wealth work. And so if you're someone who only has, say, either specialist knowledge or knowledge in one aspect, then you really have, in my eyes, like blind spots. Whereas a modern day polymath is someone who fundamentally is um, has acquired both skills and knowledge across a broad range so that they're at least, you don't need to be the best in each, but you, you are dangerous enough to know and not be taken advantage of as well. And I think particularly in the wealth building industry, um, these gurus and people in this industry do prey on that ignorance as well. And so spending time consuming or acquiring skills and knowledge is actually really important, not just in wealth, but also in general. Yeah, there was a concept I, I flagged at my last big client event a couple of weeks ago called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And the Dunning-Kruger effect is a, it's used in lots of different disciplines. It's used in health, wellness, all sorts of things. But the idea is that when you know a little bit of knowledge, it's very easy to rise to the peak of Mount Stupid, where you think you, you know it all and you speak as if you are a polymath, if you like. But in actual fact, um, you're really just scraping the surface. And the people who actually persevere with their knowledge to grow it fall to the valley of despair of realizing that, oh my God, I don't actually know that much. So it's the more you know, the more humility you have about what you know and uh yeah, you're quite right. It, it definitely applies to the world of wealth building at large. And, and just to extend it, like for me, the definition of a polymath is not just the knowledge of all of those pieces of content or information under each umbrella. A polymath for me is the person who has the capacity to integrate it and apply it, problem solve and ask the right questions and things like that. And I think that's really, um, you know, something to aspire to in some ways, not trying to just learn all these isolated skill sets, but really the people that I know that I admire the most who have exponentially outperformed you know everybody else are the people who can integrate all those different ideas and thoughts and you know streams of information into one place i might be putting you on the spot here but uh, are there any places that people can go to begin this process to understand the different areas of discipline when it comes to wealth building i know you're building obviously something yourself but if you if you had books you know anything tactical that people can look at well there aren't too many people who span every subject. Often you get very disciplined people who have a very deep, narrow niche, and those can be really useful on your journey. But what I would say is that perhaps the framework to think about is you want to learn. So what are all the things, you know, that you need to learn about wealth building? And, you know, you could sit there and brainstorm, you know, many yourself, or you could go to chat GPT and figure it out. Then there's a whole question around earning. How do you optimize your earning? And then the third piece is applying that. 
how do you actually then go out into the real world and apply that knowledge? So I think if you can think within that framework of, you know, how do I learn? And that includes how do I become an epic steward of my money? How do I make sure I look after money when it comes into my world so that I maximize my chance of success? How do I earn? How do I optimize my earnings? And that could include things like secondary income streams or side hustles, things like that. And then the third piece is how do I actually apply that? How do I actually start investing? If you can kind of, you know, put, you know, learn information or deepen your knowledge around those three areas, which is pretty much how I'm building the course that I'm building, I think you're going to have at least the semblance of a, you know, a comprehensive framework. Mm, definitely. All right. What's um, number two in terms of lessons uh, that you wished you had when you were building wealth in your 20s? Yeah. So look, in my 20s, I had a total fixation when it came to investing around what can I invest in instead of coming back to first principles. I ended up going back to first principles once I um, had already made quite a few blunders. And I was often thinking about what is it that I can afford to invest in rather than thinking about, you know, what investments are actually going to take me in the direction that I want to go. And so there was this real disconnect. And I know I'm probably glossing over it a little bit, but I, I kind of knew that I wanted to create wealth. And I kind of knew there were these things called investments that would sort of get me there, but I wasn't really joining the two things of what is it I want and, and which of those investments is actually going to pull me in that direction. Some fundamentals that I think, you know, I wish I'd really got clear in my head very early on, really marinating and understanding the concept of compounding. So compound interest is the financial phenomenon where you earn interest on your interest. So what happens is instead of, you know, the growth of your wealth being this straight line, it ends up being this really, you know, steep mm, curve. curve right? yeah. And, you know, as that goes on, it's this real snowball effect where imagine the best example I've, I've heard to explain this is imagine you're offered, a ten, I'll give you 10 grand today, Ken, or I'll give you a single penny that doubles in value every day for 31 days. Which one would you choose? And most people just jump straight to give me the 10 grand because it sounds like the better deal. But it it took me a while to understand that, you know, if you start with that one penny on day five, maybe you've got whatever, 16 cents on day 25, maybe you've got 167,000. By day 31, you've got 10.7 million. So when I started to wrap my head around the practical application of that in the real world, honestly just blew my mind. I guess where I'm angling is there's got to be a connection between some of those fundamentals and what you're trying to do. It, it can't be that you just think about investing and you, you just let that you know money burn a hole in your pocket and you just want to put it out to work without the context of, of that. And you know the thing that I learned, um, and I've shared a couple of pictures with you, is tiny amounts of money compound into a fortune over time. And I've said this many times, I, I never earned a great income, but I got really clear that you could build multiple millions in wealth by just letting time do the heavy lifting. I'm looking at these two that you've sent me as well. Do you want to, is there anything you want to walk through on each of these? Yeah. So the first diagram there is the impact of investing, even if you stop. So they contrast two people, Jack and Jill. So Jack starts investing at 25 years old and, you know, he puts $200 a month away. By the time he's 65, it's it's compounded to just under 300,000. The same amount, Jill, she starts 10 years later and she only gets to 250 odd thousand. And really what that highlights is that, you know, the sooner you can start, the more urgency you can bring to your wealth game, it will create exponentially more weight. And they're really small numbers. And I, I really wish I'd understood that because truthfully, I lived life in my 20s like I had all the time in the world to figure it out. So it wasn't that I, you know, I wasn't putting some effort in 
but I was a real plodder. You know, I spent a lot of time doing things very slowly rather than with urgency. If I'd brought a little bit of heat to my investing in my 20s, the reality is you just don't don't have to hustle or invest for as long because time does that heavy lifting. And that second diagram, the impact of when you start investing, that's kind of an extension of that. So it just shows you if you start investing when you're 25 versus 35 versus 45, the impact up to the age of 65 is massive. And so given the nature of, of compounding, it's really important to understand those principles so that you you do put a bit of a fire under your belly and, and actually just get going with this stuff. For sure. Okay. Number three? Number three was really a, a reference to being bold. I think I was born a pretty timid, conservative person. And I hit my 20s. I, I, I really did want a good relationship with money, but I didn't realize till later on that in my 20s was the prime time to be experimenting and taking risks. So, you know, I had um, no kids, no family, no mortgage, you know, no big responsibilities. And so that was really the time to try things out. And I, I genuinely feel that, you know, that combination of what we said before, which is investing in skills, and then applying those in the real world is, you know, if you can combine those two and take small risks with small amounts of money, and then measure the you know result, that is really the game that we all want to be playing. So the way I'm interpreting that is, you know, I guess responsibility or slash age, because age usually comes with less responsibility for most people, to the ability to risk take or your risk appetite. Um, and that is this notion of being able to understand that, you know, you can take, say, more calculated risks during your time, say, like in your 20s, where things are, you know, you can almost say lose the whole lot um, and still be able to pick yourself back up. Whereas, you know, as someone like myself and even you now, um, you know, I've got my own kids, um, you know, I've got a mortgage now, I've got a whole bunch of liabilities, a terrible word, but I've got a whole bunch of things that I've got to be responsible for that uh, if things go belly up, it's not just me, um, it's everything that comes with it as well. I think definitely the 20s is a time that in hindsight, when I think about it, that I would have liked to have taken more actions and more steps from a wealth building standpoint. I've done a lot outside of that, you know, whether it's like travel and all sorts of things that are, you know, things that you can do when you've got lesser responsibility. But um, I think, you know, like you said, you got to let time do the heavy lifting. And so if you can just be strategic and smart about it, you know, and put things away, you know, on a regular basis for a period of time, then, you know, before you know it, you sort of hit much later down the track and you start to see such, um, you know, really large sums of money that have been built over a long period of time. Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the key point here is you need to understand how risk and age work together. And now it's not always true that you don't have responsibilities in your 20s, but, and I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that I've coached people in their 20s all the way through to 70s. And what I see is that as the runway to retirement or to some kind of financial independence or need for financial independence gets smaller, your ability to take big risks starts to diminish. When you're in your 50s and you've got this tiny runway where you you are now when you finish work, you can't afford to lose much of what you have. You, you need every penny. Whereas in your 20s, your timeline or your runway to recovery is so long that even if you stumble and trip, you're going to be okay. And I guess the extension of all of this is, you know, this idea of understanding loss. And the truth is loss hurts, whether we're talking about someone who's playing a game or whether we're talking about, you know, money in the real world. One of the things I've talked about a lot is this idea of loss aversion, you know, the pain of loss being so much greater than the, you know, the pleasure of, of winning. But 
the thing that I really want to drive you home here is the goal of advanced investing isn't to never experience loss. And one of the things some of my mentors have said with me over the years is if you're not losing at all, you're probably not risking enough and hence you're not gaining enough as well. So we all get that the real objective is to make sure when you invest that your wins outweigh your losses. But if you can kind of maybe tweak that to think that it's not about avoiding setbacks, it's about mastering the art of the comeback. And so if you can kind of get your head around that, when you're thinking about the sort of risks you take in your 20s, you start to go, well, you know, if I lose, it's no big deal. So how did you, have you got an example of a time where you had to deal with loss? Oh my God, so many. I think I've shared the one around uh, losing my house, which was probably the biggest, most painful loss. But yeah, I mean, I, I've lost money on, on tons of investments. Um, I've lost money very early on. I, I gave a, you know my life savings to an options trader who had this amazing track record and he lost a lot. So that was a, a real bummer. I've, I've lost money on real estate deals, pl- many real estate deals. I have lost money on developments. I've lost money in the share market. I, I've had a lot of skin in the game over a very long period of time. I would say to myself though that my wins and losses from a numeric point of view might even be, you know, they're diminishing now because I'm getting better at this game, but it's not how much you win or lose. It's how big your wins are relative to your losses. And luckily for me, you know, the exponential wins have completely out, you know, outstripped the losses. Mm. So then what's the dialogue or the mindset? How do you sort of make yourself like, I don't know, make yourself feel better, I guess, after a loss? Like what's the, what's the thing that you tell yourself to get over it and then move on? This is a really good question. One of the things I'm very mindful of is everyone that I respect in the world of wealth that has enormous wealth, they all are very open about sharing their losses. So part of the journey is recognizing that it's perfectly natural to lose money every now and then. If you if you say otherwise, you're you're lying or there's there's some universe that you're living in that is different to the one that everyone else lives in. I also have this idea that It's really important to digest pain. Any emotional pain has to be digested. So one of the worst things I've observed over the years is people who sweep it under the carpet. So that involves, you know, you need to be able to talk about it. One of the things that I'm a huge advocate of is maybe even just documenting, journaling and writing down, like, what were the things that I thought about in the lead up to making that decision? What were my blind spots? What did I miss? Yeah, self-reflection is really important. And then the other piece to it is, after the loss occurred, you know, what are all the things I did to, how did I react to the loss? How could I have reacted differently? Was there things that, you know, that affected my decision making, you know, in the future? And to be frank with you, you should do that exercise, not just for losses, but for wins as well. We talked about that a lot in the last uh, client event I ran. Self-reflection on losses and wins is the key to evolution as an investor. So it's that ability to regulate yourself and also to reflect. So do retros and look at exactly what are the factors that contributed to both wins and losses overall, which I think in many ways you probably see uh, you know, athletes or professional teams do that in sports um, where they do what they call like videotape work, where they review games or matches that they played and like, what did they do right? What did they do wrong? Because oftentimes you do probably do a lot of things right, uh, but it still leads to loss. And oftentimes you do a lot of things wrong and it leads to wins. And I think that's what you're saying here, which is the um, analysis that comes with that. But also I would say as someone who probably has experienced some loss and maybe definitely not to the extent that you have, uh, I sort of try not to attach too much emotional meaning to it and not try and, I guess, um, catastrophize what this potentially means. Because our brain very naturally goes and puts a lot of value on money. Um, 
And it's such an important thing in our lives. But I think as long as you're not going to be like homeless and, you know, you've still got a roof over your head and you can sort of continue to live and recover. I think that's the thing that I tell myself is that positive reinforcement, which is, hey, like it could be worse. You can move on and um, you can sort of pick yourself back up and, and do it all again if you wanted to. And I think that's what you're saying, which is the problem oftentimes is the next step, which is after you have a loss, people feel burnt and they just don't want to try it again. It's like you stick your hand in the flame and you're like, oh, too hot. Don't want to come back here again. Whereas, you know, for the right investors and the people who have the right mindset, they're looking at it going, okay, what did I get wrong this time? And what did I get right? And how do I do more of right and do less of wrong and then move forward with the next one? Absolutely. hundred percent. I think, you know, I've spoken to a lot of investors who've lost very small amounts of money, but it has created a massive disability for them over time. And when you talk to them about it, they will say things like, I'm fine as long as I don't think about it. Yeah. Even, <laughs> about it, even years after it's happened causes huge amounts of pain. And that whole idea that when you think about a past loss if if it's like sand in your shoe if you don't stop and tip the sand out of your shoe that will be a bloody big blister after a long time so you know that self-reflection is super important and i think the only other thing i would add is human beings by their nature are meaning making machines we attach meaning to everything and so what we've got to recognize is just because there was a win doesn't mean we're a great investor just because there is a loss doesn't make us a shit investor actually start to be a bit more dispassionate about, you know, what happened, why it happened and not congratulate ourselves or, you know, become egotistical about it, nor do we want to kind of flog ourselves and say, you know, we're idiots, we shouldn't have done that. All right. Well, that, those are the three. Um, anything else you'd like to add to finish it up? We've nailed it today. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Lena. Thanks, Ken. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next